sometime from you but this is not the time this is the time for the emergency episode the emergency episode <laughs> this is the what happens when you get a leaked copy of the new eu regulations and so you got to school us on what has been said i know you've been posting a lot on linkedin and i've reposted your posts and it's gotten a lot of traction I think a lot of people are interested in knowing what is going on and what the implications are. So maybe we should start with just a broad overview first. What are some main points and then we can dig into each one. Sure. Well, let's set, let's set some context first of all, because I think, I think the idea of having an emergency podcast episode on a piece of regulation that is going to come into force <laughs> in about five years' time is perhaps <laughs> quite funny. Um, and maybe, maybe I am the only person in the world who is totally geeked out on this stuff, but um, uh, hopefully there'll be at least a few people listening to this episode uh, because they, they care about this as well. Um, but just to kind of maybe give like a little bit of feeling in terms of like how I think about this stuff i mean i'm a i'm a lawyer by 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 training originally and i never went into practice but um you know i i i studied like fossilized laws you know i've got a copy here of um you know this is like a 20 year old textbook from when i studied law and i've got like the unfair contract terms act of 1977 um you look like you're still living in 1977 with that haircut but um <laughs> <laughs> um you know i've got the trade something was gonna come up I got the Trade of Goods Act, uh, the Carriage of Goods Act by Road, 1965, the Marine Insurance Act of 1906, and the Bill of Exchange Act of 1882. So this was the, the shit I was I was studying uh, 20 odd years ago, and you know, skip forward 20 years, and here we are looking not a, not at a fossilized law, but a kind of embryotic law. So um, the way it works in in the European Union, it's a really interesting system. You've got the European Commission that proposes legislation. And then they literally, it's like a relay race. They pass on the baton to the European Parliament, which is the political um, uh, institution that we vote for, or we vote for, you vote for, because I'm no longer in the European Union. Um, but you, you know, you vote for the parliamentarians and they basically uh, take it into law. And of, of course, we're still, you know, maybe a year or two, probably two years away from this actually becoming law, um, because there's the political process. People will argue the laws to, so the regulation is too strong, the regulation is too weak. Uh, and of course, um, we're going to expect um, a lot of companies who are going to be impacted by this are going to lobby. They're going to lobby for slightly different requirements. Um, and then once it passes into law, there'll be an implementation period. Um, if it's like GDPR, it was two years. So um, you know, we're, we're, you know, we're still four years away, five years away from this actually happening. But why does that matter? Well, um, you know, I'm using, uh, you know, an eight-year-old computer. I'm using a you know, five-year-old phone. I'm, I'm driving a car that's three years old. Um, you know, so a lot of the AI systems that we interact with day-to-day -day are designed to be still around in a few years' time. Um, and it, particularly if you're an enterprise, if you're an enterprise that's implementing machine learning for different purposes, you can expect that the systems that you're building, designing, experimenting, innovating with today are going to be in production in five years time. Hopefully, uh, they'll be in production in five years time, because um, you know, that's how you're going to get a good return on your investments. And so I think it really does matter um, now uh, for, for organizations to see you know, how the tea leaves 
uh, are, are looking, um, the direction of travel is essentially set. I mean, I think this is the, the last year we didn't know, we knew the regulation was coming. What we didn't know is exactly how it was going to be made up. And now we do know. And now we've got a great opportunity to start, you know, do everything we build from next Wednesday. And I should say this, we're recording on Friday. This episode is going to go out on Monday the 19th. Uh, and, and the official regulation will be published on, the, on Wednesday the 21st. So really from Wednesday the 21st onwards, you've, if you're in the business of building designing or selling AI systems, you've kind of got no excuse um, uh, if you haven't started to consider the impact of, of, of these regulations. And of course, yeah, big caveat, I've seen a leak. Um, so what I've seen is probably probably from January, we think. Um, so there's probably a few changes um, which we're gonna get caught out by by the time Wednesday comes, but uh, we're gonna run a, um, uh, an event on Wednesday with some experts um, and some old guests of Are You a Robot, like Sebastian Creer um, and other friends as well. Um, and we're going to talk about the impact of the of the regulations then once we've actually seen the final copy. But I can I can at least share with listeners today what we're what we're going to see. And I think um, just one more bit of context, I guess, in terms of like the the path we've had to get to this point. Um, Ursula von der Leyen, when she uh, uh, became uh, president-elect of, of mm. uh, the commission, she said, I'm going to regulate AI in 100 days. That was the kind of statement that she made. And I, I, I bet a lot of people wish she hadn't said that. <laughs> Not just people in the tech comp companies, but, it, but people in, in, uh, in the commission who are actually you know, tasked with you know, turning politicians' um, statements into reality, because it's more complicated than that, right? Um, and um, the European Commission's high-level expert group have been spending quite a few years thinking about how do we make AI trustworthy in Europe and also how do we build a innovation ecosystem in Europe um, because one of the we, we've talked about this in the podcast and many guests have talked about this if you put regulations in place it has the unfortunate effect of of slowing down innovation and you've got to get that balance right and particularly now we're living through this kind of crazy economic time, um, you know, this is a time where Europe wants to be investing and, you know, not slipping behind the United States and China further. So, um, so getting that balance right is really important. Actually, the regulation speaks to that a little bit as well. Um, so she said this 100, 100 days, I think it was July 18, she said that um, what we saw was a white paper in February, it was February the 19th, 2020. And um, we all read that with interest. Um, I think there were lots of really good bits in that white paper, some few, few things which didn't go far enough and a few things which I thought weren't very well thought out. Um, but you know, it's easy for me to say it's, it's hard drafting this stuff, I'm sure. Um, and then we had a public consultation last year in 2020. Um, and you know, what's great about public consultations is that all the responses are in the public domain. So you can see what you know, Google said, you can see what Huawei said, you can see what Bosch said, or you can see what some you know, pharmaceutical companies said in response. And of course, everyone's got their agenda. Everyone's trying to, you know, elbow each other and kind of, you know, promote themselves in the process. Um, and, um, and then we had what's called an impact assessment. And basically the impact assessment, the way that works in the European Union is that um, uh, before regulation is published, they basically say, you know, we've got these options. We've got like option A, option B, option C. Um, option A is like we don't do anything um, and you know option B, C, D, whatever is you know the, these are the different paths that we can take and what they do is they say this is what we think the impacts of 
um, the regulations might be. And it's a kind of final chance for those are in who are interested to kind of say no 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 if you do this if you go down that route there's all these kind of crazy outcomes that we don't want and so it was really clear the do nothing option was not an option because um it, politically it wasn't an option there's just too much noise about ai and that noise is political noise you know, politicians are talking about the impact of ai on jobs on the environment, um, or you know, killer robots and self-driving cars. Um, you know, everyone's got an opinion on this stuff. So politically, the do-nothing option wasn't there. The question was: Would the Commission introduce sort of soft law rules to basically kind of gently nudge industry into doing stuff, or would the Commission um, put some mandatory requirements in place? And my view was last year, and I, I've, I've said this, I think, a few times, maybe even on this podcast. But I thought we, what you need is a balanced diet. You know, you can't just have the, sorry, I'm probably going to um, offend your, your, your vegan sensibilities here, but <laughs> you know, don't, don't just eat the meat or don't just eat the vegetables. You know, you want to have a bit of, a bit of both. Um, at least that's my own uh, philosophy on, on food. Um, and tempeh. Indeed, indeed. Um, so you want to have a balanced diet. And so I think I, I and we had Jessica Morley on this on this podcast, saying, you know, we need to agree red lines. Um, you know, it's an easy thing to do. There's already people that are, you know, very clear about things we shouldn't be doing with AI. We need to be making that statement. Um, and so here we are today, we've got this leak in front of us. And we're seeing red lines for the first time. And that's fantastic, I think. Um, and so I think that's a real principle. Um, a sort of real principle step forward um, that we've now said there are certain things with AI that is just not okay. It's important to say that it's the application of AI that's being under the microscope here, not the technology itself. So um, no one's saying you can't, you know, experiment with some newfangled approach to machine learning. Yeah, the, your approaches and, and the technology itself is 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 fine. It's the application of the technology that's 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 a problem. Um, so in the in the draft reg, and and obviously this is liable to change by Wednesday. Um, what we see is um, uh, thirteen titles, so thirteen. Uh, I won't use the word chapters because there's actually chapters within the titles, but thirteen titles, like thirteen kind of sections to the to the regulation. Um, and then we've also got um, eight annexes. Um, so you're going to kind of read uh, sort of 20, the twenty one sections uh, sort of together, really. Um, and um, what we see is in Title Two, it talks about prohibited practices, and it's a very short section. Um, and basically, this is what's banned uh, or will be banned um, when the regulation comes into force. And um, um, obviously, the devil's in the detail. And I'm not a practicing lawyer, um, mm. but the, the high the high notes are um, three things: if if um, if the uh, AI system is manipulative. Um, if it targets vulnerabilities, um, or um, if it's performing social scoring, um, then it's potentially banned. And here's here's the caveat: um, if that then leads to the detriment of the individual, so it's the, there's, there's going to be a detriment test here. You know, it, you know, it, it's not if I've done something that's manipulative, but it hasn't, it hasn't. If I've nudged somebody in a positive way, my intention was to help someone. And potentially it's going to fall outside of the scope of this. The problem is, um, what's you know, to some person, one person's benefit might be another person's detriment. So I think it, it's certainly yeah. going to make people who are 
thinking about you know manipulation of of people's behavior but in a positive way it's going to make them think twice about what they're doing and the good news is we've we've got a sort of sandbox um identified in in the in the regulations so potentially startups who are kind of doing manipulation but for good purposes have an opportunity to do it safely there sorry do you want to yeah the hardest thing is going to be who judges that and how many of these different machine learning algorithms that are already out right now are manipulative i'm just thinking about like if you if you're being nudged to say buy a pair of shoes for one person that could be great because i need a pair of shoes and for another person who's a shopping addict that could be horrible because that's uh exactly what they don't need so how can you distinguish between those two and does even shopping like nudging someone for shopping fall under that category right yeah. maybe they don't even look at that because it's like oh no that's not manipulative so i think i think what we're looking at here is not so much um kind of behavioral nudging i think i think uh, in the cases where it it it's um uh, you know, there's, there's also a kind of high risk category, which I'll come on to, which kind of sets a whole bunch of things that you, you can do these things, but you must kind of follow these rules. Um, and, and I would argue that actually a lot of that stuff is just best practice anyway. So a lot of the kind of the bad outcomes that you might have for stuff, which maybe on the line, um, you actually, the way you guard against that going wrong, the way you protect your brand, your reputation is making sure that all of that governance best practice you have in place and therefore it's kind of unlikely to have bad outcomes the spirit of this though the spirit of this is around fundamental rights so essentially the freedoms that we enjoy in in europe or you enjoy in europe <laughs> it's, it's not too different over here yet um but um the, the spirit is basically um ai systems shouldn't it, it, it encroach on those on those freedoms um and i think that would be the test of you know is 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 uh you know is the ai system designed to be addictive so that you know you have this you develop this compulsion based on a vulnerability that you have um because you are you know somewhat someone who maybe has a slightly addictive personality and they've managed to get you somehow into this kind of crazy frame of mind where you um you know need to buy a new pair of shoes every day and if and if the ai system has kind of led you to this kind of really dystopian outcome where you know you're spending your entire life working hard to buy shoes every day then yeah it's definitely going to be within the scope of this but i think you know this the that's an extreme outcome. Um, there's another, the, the social scoring bit is really interesting because I think, um, and I wrote this in my Forbes piece um, last week or this week, last week to people who listened to this this, this week for me. Um, and um, uh, what we see in China is obviously social, you know, social scoring is talked about a lot. Social credit systems are talked about a lot in China. Um, and, um, what we're seeing now is is Europe taking a stand to say, yeah, this is the same, okay, um, and this this encroaches on fundamental rights. Um, and what's interesting is not all social scoring would be covered uh, under this. Not all, not all social scoring would be banned. So, um, you know, your um, a situation where uh, maybe how often you log into internet banking um, might be a proxy measure of how credit worthy you are. And maybe if you log in like 10 times a day, maybe that says you're really good at managing your finances. Maybe it says you're actually not good at managing your finances. 
Um, who knows? Uh, I, I, that's not my field of expertise. But um, the, you know, something like that is actually kind of related to the scoring, the, the the impact of the scoring, giving you credit, and and how often you log in. You know, those two things are kind of analogous. But if they took your Netflix streaming history and then figured out that people who watch, mm. um, yeah, people watch like intellectual documentaries are actually like really bad credit risk. And people who watch kind of trashy movies are actually somehow like really good. You know, someone figured out that correlation using the data. And I'm sure, I'm sure you could. I'm sure there is a data correlation between your Netflix streaming history and your credit score. But what the European Union says, no, that's, that's not okay. You can't take data from one thing or mix data together from different sources that are unrelated to the thing. In. Mm. That is going to have a lot of impact on a lot of people I know. <laughs> Um, so that's really interesting. So if you're doing that in the European Union, on European citizens, uh, move to America or China, is my <laughs> advice. Um, so and then we, the other we, before we jump forward on that, because that I think has a lot of implications. So it's you cannot mix data from one place to make an assumption about another place. Like if no, it's no, no, in no. your Netflix. No, no. Okay, no, no, then. No. Yeah. That's not what it's saying. So if, if you're it? if it's if you're scoring people, it's about it's about social scoring of people. So if you're trying to basically say, you know, Demetrius, um, you know, because of Demetrius's qualities in terms of his the obvious virtue that he has from his you know love of watching you know um, of you know highbrow documentaries on Netflix, therefore. He, uh, you know, we give him a, a high social score, and because of that high social score, we're going to give him access to these products or services uh, at a lower mm. cost. Or, or uh, yeah, that's not okay. So it's, it's it's those sort of things. But I think, you know, and I come from the kind of the old school of data science uh, in the early 2010s, where you know that was exactly the kind of the opportunity for for, for everyone was you know this unrelated data source might actually provide a clue, a proxy measure into something. And, and credit scoring is, is a really interesting world because you know, how quickly you pay your bills is not the only indication of, of how creditworthy you are. Well, um, and let's jump into, because I see another implication with jobs and hiring. Does yeah. this mean that now these algorithms cannot look at anything on Facebook to determine whether or not you are worthy of a job so let's come to let's come to hiring so let's uh, so so let, let's let, let's kind of stick with the structure so there's things which are banned things that will be banned um and um and i should say um, i didn't mention indiscriminate surveillance uh, is also in that category as well but um so there's a couple of things which are banned the caveat is they have to be you know the the, the get the got out uh, the get out clause here is you know they have to be to the detriment of the individual um, and we can all argue about what this is. The great news about this this regulation: if you're a lawyer, you're going to make a lot of money for the next ten years, um, <laughs> because uh, there's a lot of devil in the detail here. The second thing: this is um, is you've got to read kind of two sections of the regulation, kind of side by side. You've got to read um, Title Three, which is all about, um, and particularly Article Five, talks about high risk AI. And then you've also got Annex 2, which um, is like, you know, the, the bit at the back, which which also lists out high um, high risk AI. And I guess there's, there's two things to say about this. Um, uh, they're, they're, they're treated slightly differently, um, and that's why they're kind of not lumped together. Um, what is in Article 5 is basically um, is safety components. So if your AI system is performing safety in some way, 
then it's going to be caught by Article 5. And this, this makes it high risk, what, what the European Commission are calling high risk. Um, and specifically, a few things are called out, which are aviation, motor vehicles, motorcycles, railway, uh, marine and agriculture. Those, you know, AI, um, AI systems, uh, which are safety related in those in those categories. Um, and again, a lot more detail behind this um, will be caught up by this. So self-driving cars, you know, that's the, that's the headline that people are going to take away. Um, you know, and I've got a car which has got, you know, presumably there's some machine learning going on in terms of how it's doing its collision avoidance. I'm guessing it's not entirely random, although it feels like it is sometimes, particularly when you're going around a corner and <laughs> it sees a parked car and it just jams on the brakes mid-corner. Um, I, uh, yeah, it's just like... <laughs> really annoying particularly when someone's tailing you because <laughs> they yeah, think sure. you're just yeah, being an arsehole <laughs> it's like it's not me it's the car <laughs> um so uh so so yeah so so those things which are safety components are high risk automatically and then in article sorry in annex two there's a there's a list of things and the interesting thing about annex two two is that they've actually called out specific applications of AI, which would be deemed as high risk. But there's a provision in the regulation that the commission can add to that list. And there's there's some rules around how and when it will add to that list. But what's really interesting here is this list isn't static. And I think what we're going to see over not just the next couple of years before this comes into force, but for the next 10, 20, 30 years, we're going to see people arguing that um, this particular application of AI should become high risk uh -huh. because it's hurt someone, killed someone, damaged property or whatever. And the commission are going to have to decide. Um, and if they do decide, it'll get brought in and it will have really big ramifications. Um, uh, and, and the reason it's going to have ramifications is the, the kind of requirements for high risk are, you know, they're, they're, not, they're not trivial. Uh, you, you're going to have to put a bit of work into this. I would argue a lot of these things you should be doing anyway, regardless of whether you think your AI system is hard. This is just good practice, but, um, you know, you're going to have to do this. And the penalty, and I think this is the other big headline news, the penalty is GDPR scale. Um, four percent of 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 global turnover, or twenty million, whichever is the higher. Yeah, um, we haven't seen many GDPR fines, um, uh, and, and you know, Facebook their data leak, which they managed to wriggle out of just a few weeks ago. Um, you know, could have been the first one, but um, yeah, they they managed to leak the data just before GDPR was uh, enforced. So well done, well done, Zach. Um, so in that list, in that list in, in Annex 2, and obviously this list is going to change um, over time and probably will change by the time people listen to this uh, when, the, when the regulation comes out, is emergency dispatch. So if you call, um, if you call uh, 911, uh, 999 or 112 in Germany, I forget. Yeah. Uh, so emergency dispatch, that's, that's one area. Um, access to education. Um, uh, so the mutant algorithm that we had in the UK that allocated exam grades, uh, and Boris Johnson uh, uh, didn't understand. Um, yeah, that's high risk. Yeah, no shit. <laughs> um, so yeah, some of these things, some of these things are like a little bit slow to the party. You know, it's uh, it, it, it. so this is a, this is the big one. This is the big one that's going to affect every company: um, recruitment and task allocation. So task allocation, okay, that's only really gig platforms right now, but I think increasingly people have been thinking about task allocation 
um, uh, even in a kind of you know white collar uh, work. Um, Can you explain and, what you mean by task allocation? Yeah, I mean like Uber. Um, you know, you, who get which driver gets um, the job? If Perfect. you know, if you're delivering fast food, which cyclist gets sent to which restaurant? Um, and um, yeah, that's going to have real impact. Um, yeah, and I think in white collar work, um, you know, we, we've, we've, I've, I know of startups who've been thinking about how, how might you allocate white collar work uh, using essentially machine orchestration as opposed to human. Uh, so, you know, this, 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 this is interesting, but recruitment, I mean, that's the big one. Um, and I think it's fair to say, you know, if you look at the big recruitment platforms like Talentsoft or Ceridian or Workday or SAP, um, you know, we've rated on, on Essexgo, we've rated the, the cloud HR platforms just recently. And I think it was really good to see Workday weren't the top in our ratings, but I mean, Workday, I just want to call out specifically because they've, they've published some really, really well thought out um, suggestions about uh, how AI should be governs in a kind of in a more than just a regulatory sense but in terms of a responsibility sense from the ecosystem and I was really impressed by that I mean it's obvious that you know they knew that this was coming down the pipe and they knew that this would impact their business and um, but I think also that I think what I detect from Workday um, and I, I, as I call them out they're not the top we we don't rate them as the top company because there's a few other things we think are missing but I think you know it's outstanding I, I would want to say the uh -huh. thought that they've put into um, the fact that they have a responsibility to make sure that the AI systems, not that just that they develop, but the ones that live on their platform uh, behave and act in an appropriate way. Why? Because they might only have, you know, a few tens of thousands of companies, but each of those tens of thousands of companies are going to employ hundreds, if not thousands, if not tens of thousands of people. I used to work for a company which was a workday uh, customer and we had tens of thousands of employees. And so if you do the math, you know, you're talking about tens of millions of people's uh, promotion, pay rises, you know, being made redundant, um, you know, uh, access to training, all of those things potentially uh, are, are being, you know, decided on by, by machine learning systems. And so, yeah, good. This is high risk. And, and now the commission is realizing it. So that's, 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 that's um, I think, a big step forward. Wait, um, but... What about my my question about whether or not these companies can grab? So now the scoring question, like, can companies or machine learning gather data from the internet? Like, I post a lot on LinkedIn, and it's all mm -hmm. public, right? Can now company gather all that data and and make a correlation, and then make a decision on that? Yeah. So I think. Um... I mean, uh, the caveat here is the benefit I've got of looking at the you know, Bill of Exchange Act 1906 or whatever is that we've got a you know 115 years of legal cases that have been argued and judges. So I, if you ask me that question as relates to an act that's 100 years old, I can give you a pretty de de uh, definitive answer. For something that's going kind to of embryonic like this, um, you know, the answer is we'll see. But um, <laughs> okay. I think <laughs> I think I think it's fair to say that you know if 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 you were kind of scoring somebody's suitability for employment based on what they post on LinkedIn, I think you could argue that that is, you know, 
in you know it's a it's a domain it's a data domain that's related to the social what the social scoring is is going to be used for if it's about um the photographs that you post on facebook that or insta then it's yeah it's got nothing to do with it and therefore should be banned mm. so i think i think that's the first determination you've got to make is is the data you're using you know is it does it have a relation to the thing you're scoring for secondly there has to be a detriment so you know if, if you're doing something for good then potentially you're you're you're, you're scotch-free on this but um but if you're not high risk um so if you're not banned then then you're potentially high risk and i think the high risk stuff is 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 the is the important stuff here so that means that you've got quite a few requirements to follow um there's a few other little things in here credit credit scoring i mean yeah no surprise there perhaps yeah. access to benefits and services so you know if you're getting an employment benefit and it's ai driven um then that'll be high risk um, criminal processes and court processes, by which I read, you know, it would be both criminal and civil court court cases mm-hmm. in terms of the actual court procedure. Um, so potentially, you know, who gets, you know, who, who gets heard when, you know, those sort of things. Um, but also, you know, obviously things, um, things like sentencing, um, you know, um, penalties, fines, etc. Those those things would be high risk. Um, policing. Um, so, and we've definitely seen this in the United States where, um, you know, the AI systems have been used in order to try and determine where, uh, uh law enforcement officers are deployed, mm-hmm. obviously facial uh, recognition software to try and identify people. Yeah. So facial recognition is actually specifically called out or not facial recognition, but remote biometric identification systems are called out, uh, uh, you know, and, and that's, that's uh, automatically high risk. Um, and, and the other thing actually that's automatically high risk is anything in terms of public infrastructure. So if you've got water uh, utilities board using AI to monitor uh, water quality or, you know, oh, those sort of things, that's automatically um, high risk. And then the final, final one, asylum, uh, asylum seeking. Um, so, um, so those things are high risk, and so the question is, what does high risk mean? What is it? What do you have to? Um, what do you have to do? And do you know what? This is um, this is probably not going to come uh, at any kind of great surprise to people. Um, that's you've got to use high quality data sets. <laughs> um, should make sure that you document what you do and have good record keeping. So you know. No great surprise standard there, practices. perhaps. Yeah. yeah, standard practices. We're, we're talking about standard practices. Um, yeah, um, you got to have human oversight. We're interesting. You you got to have like a kill switch. Um, it, it talks about mm. like a, a stop override measure. And I think in my self driving car scenario, that's that's going to be that's going to be an interesting one. I think people are going to talk about for a few years. Um, you've got a requirement to think about the robustness, accuracy, and security of your product over its life cycle. Um, you've got to also like say, you know, I'm building this system and I'm thinking it's going to be used for 10 years, you know, in a, in a car, in a, in a car scenario, you know, I'm bringing this car to market and I can reasonably foresee people might be driving this car as an old banger in 25 years time. And therefore the AI, you know, it's not, it's not okay for me for this AI system only to work for the first two or three years of its use. Yeah. It has to be, they have to think about the implications long-term. Um, so I'm it sure. Be like all... our phones that just go out of, they just stop working after a few years. Yeah, Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. You need to play for the long, the long, the game. long way. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and the obligations on this, um, and, and I think there's um, there's sort of really two things um, which I I took away sort of practical things that organisations need to do, and I think the best, the most mature organisations are already going to be doing this. One, having a quality management system in place, and you're going to hear that and hear 
MLOps. Um, and when I read that, I read MLOps because quality management is looking at, you know, the, the list of what quality management systems should look for is in the regulation. And you know what? It's it's all the stuff that, you know, a good MLOps platform would, would ensure that you have. Um, and the second thing is a risk management system. And, you know, I've, I've always been... I don't think we, have we had Pamela Jasper on on the podcast yet. I don't think we have. No, we had her on the. MLOps you had her on the MLOps community. community. Yeah, that's right. So, um, so she like me comes from the finance industry. Um, she she comes from a you know, slightly different uh, domain within that, which is you know risk management um, and particularly algorithmic risk management. Because you know, one of the funny things I found when I was at Deutsche Bank or Fidelity was, you know, going to, we have the, what we call the front office and the middle and back office. So the front office are people who do the trading essentially. Uh, and the middle and back office are the people who do the kind of the plumbing and the kind of paperwork behind the scenes. Do great disservice to my former colleagues. Selling to the front office was really hard because you talk to a quant, essentially, you know, a, a pointy headed mathematician type person. Um, and you say, hey, can I come and talk to you about AI? And they'd be like, I've been doing this for like 20 years. Like, <laughs> there's nothing you can show me that's going to be new here. Um, and it's true. You know, they wouldn't call it AI, but, you know, it's, it's um, you know, it's basically fancy maps. And, and, and so banks have really well established controls in terms of how do you risk assess and risk manage the fancy maths that they implement? And first of all, do we know where the maths is being used? Secondly, do we know what maths is being used by whom, when, when was it last touched, who updated it last? Um, so banks, you know, get this stuff and there's actually really, uh, you know, there's, there's well-established processes, procedures and rules on uh, how you should operate. And so Pamela is, 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 is an expert on this and, um, and I think when I when I first met her, um, you know, it, it was clear that you know her surprise, I guess, around this whole AI governance community was like, uh, why do you all think this is like new? <laughs> why do you, yeah. why are you all kind of like figuring out best practice? Because we've been doing best practice for twenty years, so just get with the program. And I think the clarity that she brings to this conversation, I think, is great. She's actually going to be a panelist on our uh, webinar on Wednesday. Um, nice. So, so yeah, quality management and risk management, they're the two things that I think people need to be taking away from this. Um, if you've got a quality management system in place, i.e. MLOps, um, if you've got a risk management, and risk management, what I mean by that is, have you thought about how this might go wrong? Have you thought about how frequently it might happen? And have you thought about the severity of what it would mean when it does? And there's two things you need to do. I'm not talking about the, the regulation here. I'm talking more generally what's best practice. You need to be recording this stuff. You need to have a way of actually sitting down and making that assessment. Um, and, and ideally, I think you, you need a red team. You need, you need a bunch of people in the room who can challenge your assumptions and say, have you thought about this? Have you thought about that? And just kick that around a bit. Um, and so, you know, best practice is you have, you know where all of your models are across your organization. Um, you've got a, a way of monitoring them for quality um, and, and you risk assess them. And there's going to be some things which you say, like, this is low risk. This is not so important. If this goes wrong, it's not going to impact anyone. No one's going to die. It's going to be fine. But that's great. But you need to know, you know, what, what those are. And you should certainly, you know, have that index. Um, but there are going to be things which, which are going to matter and you need to control those differently. There's definitely, like, with the data too, where's the data coming from? 
what kind of features are you engineering on that data? Like there's so much that goes into the data that you're plugging into the models that you need to keep track of too, which is very difficult if you start to get it, get to a large scale, right? So yeah, that's an, a really interesting piece. And I like this idea of it's just common sense. Why wouldn't you be doing this? So hopefully it's just bringing a little bit of structure and what we know to be important. It's kind of forcing people to, to do that. Um, what there's I wanted two, to ask, sorry, oh, go ahead. There's two more things I think people need to know. And then let's jump into to questions you've got, because I know you've got a ton of questions. Um, so uh, transparency requirements, this is, this is like another headline thing. So if you're interacting with an AI system, you need to be told that you're interacting with an AI system. Like you know, Europe's not the first to market with this. We've seen this in California. Um, we're going to see this globally. This is, this is maybe not in China, but we're, we're going to see this everywhere. And so you know, if you're building chatbots, um, if you're building any other sort of system where there's an AI in the background, you need to be telling your user this is this. So the, all the horror stories about GPT-3 and writing you know, fake news, um, you know, we can be slightly less worried about that now because if you're going to be following the law, <laughs> if, because not all people yeah. that will be doing this will be, but if you're going to be following the law, you have to to, to uh, say this this article has been written uh, by a machine. Um, deep fakes, that's going to be covered. Um, so that's great. That's a really, really great step forward. The practicalities of that are going to be a nightmare. I don't envy uh, people at Facebook, but... Um, I never did, so there we go. Um, and um, uh, and then last, the last thing. I mean, there's loads more in here uh, we could talk about, but the other thing I just really want people to know if they don't, uh, if they just take a few highlights away, code of conduct. This is this is the other thing which the and it's kind of a bit of a Weasley thing that they've done here, which is to say, kind of, if you're not high risk, then we really think you should follow a code of conduct, and yeah, we're going to encourage you. And here's kind of what we think a code of conduct should should be looking at. Um, and so, um, you know, the, everything in that code of conduct is essentially best practice. Um, mm. And you know, we would have hoped at Ethics Grade, we would have hoped for something slightly stronger than that and, and a sort of mandatory labeling regime. So if you're using AI, you have to kind of have an energy sticker on the side of it. Uh, you, know, an A to, you know, that's what we do. Um, so we were kind of hoping for something slightly stronger than a, just simply a kind of code of conduct. But um, I think it's fair to say that most organizations are going to be looking at that and saying, well, we do this anyway. We do this because, you know, we're good people and we're doing the right thing. And actually, we want to differentiate ourselves over you know, the other people who just follow the minimum. And so I think, you know, for us at Ethics Grade, that's that's great. You know, there's... Um, within a code of conduct section as they you know they talk about how third-party organizations like mine might you know uh interact with that and so you know we think that's going to be a, a very positive step forward um but the um the 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 kind i guess the kind of the big question here uh, uh, um when i don't really want to spend any time and a lot of other people like would spend time kind of saying oh the act doesn't go far enough or it's badly written here or you know look it is what it is it's going to be law in a couple of years time let's just get our head around what we need to do <laughs> um as a, and and we can maybe fix later the, the only thing i would want to say on like what i would wish for differently would have been there's the german data ethics commission was proposing a five-tier system uh and the top tier would be ai is banned we're seeing that in here which is good 
um, and then you know four, three, and two would be um, you know levels of of controls, and then level one you can do what you want. Um, and I think that the attractiveness of something like that, I know it's more complicated, but the attractiveness of something like that is you you don't get the situation where people start to argue. Um, yeah, I know that on the face of it, my AI system would be high risk, but actually it's not because of this little thing over here. And I think we're going to see a lot of that with the with the, with the rules, whereby mm. a lot of people are going to waste their time trying to argue that their AI system isn't high risk and therefore they can get away with all the requirements. Um, uh, and actually what they should really focus on is just putting the best practice in place. And sorry, one, one thing I should have said, which I forgot to say, um, there's a reporting requirement within here. You've got to essentially, if your AI system is high risk, it has to be registered in a database. So think, you know, if if you're if you have a motor vehicle <laughs> um, and you're driving on public roads, you have to stick a registration place on it, and the authorities need to know about it. You know, we're going to see you know, something equivalent to that here as well. Um, and so it's going to be burdensome. And I think I think this is the problem for those people caught up in high risk. Is it's going to put a it's going to put burdens in place. I don't think we can pretend it's not going to be. And I think the, the risk is, and this is something at Ethics Grade we're definitely going to be looking for, if people are trying to argue that their AI system is not high risk and they should therefore not have to worry about some of this stuff, you know, that's bad acting. Uh, and we need to kind of guard against yeah. that. And we'll be trying to look for ways of rating companies based on that. Um, but if you're trying to actually look the other way and say, well, look, a lot of these things which are factored into the high risk or just kind of what we should do anyway as good citizens then we'll and we're going, we're going to apply the same things to non-high risk uses of ai then guess what we're going to treat you and, and rate you and score you better and i think that's the way that we can contribute to this anyway so i do you got questions and we've got 15 minutes left so well i think the first question is something that came up on my linkedin post that i recycled from your linkedin post which was someone <laughs> asking uh, I just copied and pasted blatantly <laughs> what you did, and I said thanks for, thanks to Charles. For I got a, I got an email from someone who said, um, uh, I thought something about like, oh, I thought, um, I thought these uh, insights into the AI regulation was re were really good, and then I realised they actually came from you. <laughs> <laughs> it was. It was <laughs> <laughs> your that was insights. Funny. If we weren't I friends, I, I, would, I wouldn't. <laughs> That's funny. Exactly. Funny. I am shameless about that, but I thought it was important. I thought I should, instead of just resharing it, because I know a little bit about the LinkedIn algorithm and doesn't give you as much visibility if you just reshare. And so I just reposted yeah. by copying and pasting. But the first question, and probably the most interesting question in my mind, is what someone, uh, Harry Berg asked on the thread of that. And he was asking, what related jobs do you think will come into demand first? And I find this fascinating because it's like, we spend so much time talking about how AI is going to take all of our jobs. Now, because of this regulation, we are definitely creating some jobs. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, we are. Um, I mean, there's, a, there's, an, there's an easy answer for that, um, which is the, um, the regulation provides for a European uh, AI board. I think I can't actually have the wording in front of me here, but it's a it's a, basically a board of people who will sit under the Commission, who will ensure that this uh, regulation gets enforced equally across the Union, um, so that we don't have one member state that kind of is the back door into Europe. Um, because one of the great things about Europe is if your product is allowed in one country, it's allowed across the whole Europe 
of, of Europe without uh, any friction. So they're going to make obviously make sure there's no back doors. Um, and also um, that list, the Annex 2 list um, uh, of high-risk systems, that's going to be uh, essentially uh, expanded by that by that group. Um, there's um, there's other kind of more administrative things if um, if basically things pass conformity or or uh, sorry if things if things are deemed to be like un unconformist um, because they've they you know I can imagine like a situation where a self driving car has, has has had an accident which will happen um, let's not pretend it, it won't um, and then you know it's a, it's a kind of failure of the AI system in a safety you know there's going to be people that are going to say this should be um, you know this this should be high risk or the organization that had built it um you know didn't follow the requirements and basically that's the job of the board is to try and you know maybe look look at as technology improves where the spotlight should be shining um and also kind of making that assessment of you know the, the post-mortem assessment there's also bits in the act about um or the regulation rather before it comes an act um there's bits in there about um post-market surveillance so, you know, essentially, how are we going to kind of watch the operation of AI systems? So I think there's going to be loads of opportunities there uh, for people to be in this kind of, um, you know, the AI police, essentially, uh, uh, industry of, um, you know, monitoring systems um, uh, and reporting against systems. Um, and it's all going to be, you know, bureaucratic and... <laughs> Um, uh, Do you think that the people that become the police, they are going to be held to a standard where they'll have to know hmm. pretty in-depth uh, about AI and machine learning? Because I find it yeah. hard, or I would hope that it, it does not come to a place where you don't need to have an in-depth understanding to be a police for this right yeah so there's in fact the, the the they've thought about this in 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 the drafting and you know i think um i think one of the criticisms that you know people often make is that you know lawmakers don't know enough they don't haven't thought about the impact or they don't uh, they don't understand the domain enough to be able to kind of really make effective regulation i think i think that's really not criticism you could apply to this you know we have a, a, a an experts board um the you know the high level expert group which the commission set up a number of years ago some really you know top people on that uh, who really know their stuff and there's also a kind of apparatus around and you know i'd consider myself to be kind of in that slightly you know outer circle of you know I've certainly exchanged um, my views with some of those people and, and 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 given thoughts and we've had debates and arguments and you know this all kind of bubbles up and the result is in the regulation, you know, what we see is, um, you know, there's a, a whole set of rules around what they call notified bodies, um, which are there to, um, you know, play this kind of uh, infrastructure of trust. Let's, let's use um, Ryan Carrier's language here. You know, there's, there's um, and yes, you know, there's going to be some roles which are going to require, um, you know, proof of um, competence and those roles which are just simply going to be more um, administrative. Um, so I think I think that's that's one area where there's going to be a huge amount of uh, opportunity for some people and burden for others because if you're if you're in the business of making AI systems, there's definitely going to be a little bit more burden. But I think you know I, one question which I've I've um, 
I don't have an answer to, um, but I've always wanted to ask is what's the kind of ratio of engineers to governance people at companies when they do AI? You know, so if you've got, you know, 20 ML engineers and a few data scientists, what's that ratio to people playing governance roles? And I reckon everywhere that ratio is wrong. Yeah, it's very <laughs> low. And that ratio is going to change if if you're doing high risk. If, I think it's going to change anyway, regardless of whether you're high risk or no, or no risk or not risk assessed. I need to find a better label for that because people will say, well, because I'm not in a high risk AI, I'm therefore low risk. And, and I would argue, no, you're not. It's just you're not high risk. It doesn't mean you're low risk. It means you're, you're not in a special category. Um, but you might be doing what I would call high risk stuff or you might call high risk stuff and not be subject to the high risk categories. And so I think there's, there's definitely, we're definitely gonna see that ratio change in organizations um, and that'll be good, that'll be good. Let's talk a little bit more about the five stages and the how right now it's basically black or white. It's yes or no, you're high risk or you're not. And the way that I think you said the German AI ethics council wanted to, map it out is that there's stages so it's easier it's like a spectrum if i understood yeah. that correctly yeah and i i think it's a shame that we haven't seen that um uh, because um you know what i understand about the boeing um 737 max incidents uh were that you know there was a particular piece of um technology uh you know the kind of the flight control system and it had this component which basically tried to stabilize the, the plane. And early in the design process, um, you know, Boeing decided to take a particular course and it meant that that system was not deemed as high risk and therefore it wasn't subject to a whole bunch of, you know, what would have been a kind of pain in the ass safety and, and technical control um, things. And, um, and, and it was probably, you know, I, I'm not an expert on this and I, so I, I don't want to... Don't wanna, I don't want to commit any, any um, defamatory statements here, but I, I got the sense that that seemed to be like a, a sensible decision that was made at that point in time. What then happened subsequently was that um, the system was changed in such a way that that little component was no longer kind of you know a nice to have. It was a must to have. And it, in, on any sensible view of the world, it would have switched from being a, a low risk to a high risk. Um, and therefore should have been subject to a whole bunch of requirements that never happened. And no one saw this. No one thought about it until they did the post-mortem on the aircraft once, sadly, you know, there'd been a lot of other post-mortems on, on people who had died. And um, the, um, I think the takeaway I took from that was that, you know, there's obviously the wrong incentive structure. If you're the organization, and the other thing that's interesting about aviation is that there is, there is this kind of self-assessment um, you know, the, there is a requirement on the on the designer to meet certain standards, but essentially there's some things which they can self-assess. And the way that the aviation authorities in the United States have developed over the years, essentially it's maybe a bit of a revolving door between the companies and the regulator and conflicts of interest potentially. And it's just a bit messy. And long and the short of it is, is um, if you've got that dynamic where you are subject to either no controls or tough controls, so it's a binary switch, the incentive structure is such that you're going to say, well, I know it looks like I should be doing those things, but actually I can get out of it here. And you know, lawyers are good at that stuff. That's what, that's what they're paid for. 
And I, and I worry that we're going to see that. I worry that we're going to see lots of those examples that, you know, on the face of it, it looks really clear that, you know, if you're safety equipment for aviation or, um, you know, agriculture, motorcycles, rail, marine, motor vehicles, um, then, then you're going to be in. Um, even the definition of a product, you know, if it's a safety component of a product um, that's not in one of those sectors, like a, like a toy, children's toy, um, maybe uh, somebody would argue, well, it's not actually a product, it's a service. Um, and therefore, safety doesn't, you know, the fact I'm doing safety equipment for a service doesn't actually apply. I think there's lots of opportunities there to, to wriggle out of this. And I think the way that you, you mitigate that is to have an intermediate category at the very least um, and say, well, and I think that what they could have done is beefed up the code of conduct, beefed up the requirements that if you're not high risk, you still have to do this kind of basic, basic minimum. And I think that would have been a lot better. And I think, uh, I say I don't really want to dwell too much on what what could have been, but I think if we look at car, the automotive markets, there's a minimum standard for what you need to do to allow a car to be sold in the European Union, and that minimum standard hasn't really changed much over 30 years. But road safety has massively improved. Why? Because above that threshold, the minimum threshold, we see. Um, the Euro NCAP scheme, which is a, a way of essentially grading cars from, you know, a zero to a five scale. And, you know, some car companies like to dine out on the fact that they get the five star ratings or the four star ratings and people buy them because of that. And that has generally improved the standards. So it's almost unthinkable that a car would, would reach a minimum standard because most people are playing in a different place entirely. And I think as a market dynamic, that would have been really good to see here, like a minimum threshold, anyone doing AI must do these basics. And then there's a special category of things which we're really worried about, which we're really going to come down toughly on. And then here's the band list. You know, for me, that would have been the better outcome. But I think we can achieve the same result because I think um, I, I think this is going to raise the bar. I think we will see other pieces of regulation. I mean, GDPR spawned copies around the world. Yeah. Um, this will spawn copies around the world. We'll see Australia, the United States, Canada, Singapore, other places um, introduce similar types of controls. And um, my hope is one of those other jurisdictions puts a minimum bar in place. And if they do, then I think we'll start to see, you know, that, that carry over here as well. The one, the one thing which is a total no-brainer, and we really got to get somebody on the podcast to talk about this specifically, is that if you, there's been loads of research done that people, ordinary people, really want AI bans in certain cases in military contexts, um, mm -hmm. and is you know, given the fact we live in a democracy, and um, it, surely the political um, uh, uh, acts should follow the, the views of the people. I'm just amazed that we're, we've seen, you know, a, a year on the commission carve out scope. This does not apply to weapons or military uses. Um, and, um, and, and obviously we know why. There's a huge amount of, of, of lobbying. Uh, there's a huge economy around, you know, the military supply chain. Um, and obviously AI is a, is, a, uh, is a potential differentiator in any future conflict. Uh, uh, I'm not going to pretend that it is. And it, you know, has the potential to really massively uh, reduce the, the amount of collateral uh, uh, cost of human life. Um, but, but we need a Geneva Convention on AI. Yeah, that, <laughs> that's very true. What besides military do you feel like should be banned and didn't get banned? Oh God. Um, 
what should be banned um I, 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 the, the thing that jumps to mind, which is completely out of scope for this, but it's, it's for scope for something else, is um, is uh, not so much changing the rules we've got, but just using the rules we've got better. Um, we've got antitrust regulations. Um, a lot of the ill that happens from the tech industry is, is, is simply because of scale and overreach. Um, and a lot of these companies are too big to fail, and therefore we kind of pander to them somewhat um and you know i think we need to see not new rules around antitrust but i think we need to see the existing rules just used um more um and, and i think um I, could, I guess the only thing the only thing maybe i think about that could be different is i think now we've seen this facebook data breach and the fact that um you know, it, it happened conveniently just before GDPR came into force. I mean, maybe some of these things need to be retrospectively applied. Um, and um, uh, there is a little bit of that in this in this regulation. Um, but um, yeah, that's a conversation for another day. Dear, I've got to run. I've got a conversation with one of the one of the um, big evil tech companies. So, um, um, but I'll, sorry, I'll be I'll be nice to them. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for coming on here and explaining this to me. I will see you soon, buddy.